Hello and welcome to the Rody House Barclay Heritage Square tour. Um, so I'm going to be taking you around Barclay Square. I am recording this on a uh, late morning outside the Rody House Museum. So if there's some ambient noise, um, you'll have to forgive me, but this is as though you're on my tour. So usually I do this tour as a part of um, Jane's Walk and uh, we like to start in front of the Rody House Museum. So if you want to either pause and get yourself in front of the house, I'm just looking at um, the green house um, at the corner of Barclay and Broughton. Um, so go ahead and position yourself there and I will get started. So I do want to maybe talk a little bit about Jane Jacobs. So this is the tour that I adapted for the Jane's Walk tour. So Jane Jacobs was an urbanist and activist whose writings championed a community-based approach to city building. She wrote The Death and Life of Great American Cities and introduces ideas about how cities function, evolve, and fail that have become common sense for today's architects, planners, policymakers, activists, and other urban planners. Jane was a believer in the importance of local residents having input on how their neighborhoods develop and encouraged people to familiarize themselves with the places where they work, live, and play. No one can find what will work for our cities by looking at suburban gardens, suburban garden cities, manipulating scale models, or inventing dream cities. You've got to get out and walk. And that's a quote by Jane Jacobs in Downtown is for People. Jane's Walk was founded in 2006 by a group of Jane's friends and colleagues as a way to honor and activate her ideas. That first year, there were seven walks in Toronto, and 10 years later, in 2017, there were 1,700 and 225 cities worldwide. So I'd like to start with an introduction to the West End. So development in this area of the West End did not begin until 1890. The Greenhorn Trio purchased land but sold the West End portion to the CPR, who successfully developed the land. The rebuilding of the city in 1886 brought in a lot of people into the city, including Rose, Ro, Gustav Rodi, who along with his wife and family built and lived in this house for 32 years. Uh, so initially this area was populated with higher upper middle income families. The single family houses in this area were built between 1890 and 1927. 144 homes were built in this neighborhood in 1890 alone. By 1910, the high class status of the neighborhood began to decline with the popularity of Shaughnessy as a residential area increased among wealthier families. The Rodies themselves opted to spend their retirement in the quieter Point Grey neighborhood. In the early 1910s, the homes on Robson, Denman and Davy were gradually converted to shops and apartments became more popular in the West End. Larger homes became rooming houses, and by the 1920s, many of the homes here on this block were rented as suites and single rooms. The Rody House, too, became a boarding house shortly after it passed through the family's hands in 1925. A large number of high-rises were built in the 60s and 70s, and the city of Vancouver began to acquire properties on this block with the intention to create a neighborhood park to add some green space to this densely populated area. 17 buildings originally existed on this block and nine were saved from demolition and we'll be talking about these houses today. That process of deciding which buildings would stay involved many community stakeholders, including the City of Vancouver, the Parks Board, Heritage and Community Groups. On March 8, 1983, a city motion was passed to develop this park site and in 19, December 1984, the Rody House Preservation Society was formed to lead the restoration of this house intended as a museum. So now we're going to start walking and I would like you to start walking north 
on um, Barclay. So if you're in front of the Brody House Museum, walk towards the sign that says Barclay Manor, but don't go right uh, to the sign. We're going to be stopping at the stone wall. So right in front of that green space in between the two houses, the two buildings, in front of the stone wall that says Barclay Heritage Square. So Barclay Heritage Square, named by the Parks Board Chairman Lachlan Hamilton at the time, taken, was taken by, from suggestions. Barclay is the reworked spelling of Barclay Sound, named after Captain George Barclay of the Imperial Eagle. He named the sound after himself in 1787. Broughton Street is named for Broughton Street. In, 19, in 1792, Captain Vancouver named the street after Lieutenant Commander William Broughton. Harrow Street takes its name from Harrow Strait, so named in 1790 by Sub-Lieutenant Quimper of the Spanish Navy after his first mate to Harrow. Apparently, Hamilton cannot recall why he chose Nicola as a street name, though he says he may have wandered off the map while he was wandered off the map he was using and looked at lakes. Nicola Lake is named after a famous Thompson First Nations head chief, and he named Hamilton Street after himself. So this stone was made out of materials from one of the demolished houses on this block. And where the Great Lawn is, so this uh, green um, patch of uh, grass in front of you, there was a pink stucco building that was not in good condition and was demolished. So now we're going to head to Barclay Manor. So continue walking down um, Barclay. So Barclay Manor houses the West End Seniors Network. The West End Seniors Network provides services and programs for seniors in the neighborhood and as the population and the community ages, their role will become more important in the future and they are a great anchor in the community. They do great work including the annual Strawberry Festival during the summer and if you want to see some generous grandma sized scoops of whipped cream and ice cream, you gotta go, but maybe not this year and this year being 2020. So something, so some building history notes. The original building in this location was built in 1890 and owned by Lucy and Charles Tetley. It was then sold to Frank Baines, who built this building here and added a hospital on the side. In the 1920s, it became a boarding house until the house was sold. Barclay Manor and the other houses on this tour exemplify Edwardian architecture, named after another British sovereign. Edwardian architecture is generally less ornate than late Victorian architecture, simplified in form and detailing. These simplified forms are strongly influenced by the American four square style, and many were built using stock plan books of the time. This style has a simple rectangular floor plan that's divided into quadrants, consisting of an entry, and entry hall and stairwell, drawing room, living room, kitchen and dining room. All bedrooms are located upstairs with a bathroom in between them. Given an emerging middle class, rooms for service became less common in the new Edwardian homes. The beginning of the 20th century also saw the introduction of the widespread use of gas and later electricity in many households, changing the way interiors were lit. No longer concerned with disguising the buildup of soot on the interior walls, designers moved to lighter, brighter colors and less complex patterns in wallpaper and curtains. Barclay Manor represents an upscale example of of Edwardian architecture with classical details such as the columns on the veranda which wraps around the facade, stained glass insets in the bay windows. Uh, some landscaping notes. 
The black locust tree on the southeast corner of the house helps to maintain the character of the street. So now we're going to keep going down Barclay Street to the Diamond Center for Living and Friends for Life. So now we are at the corner of Barclay and Nicola in this house, this kind of gray blue slate house. Okay. The Diamond Center for Living is run by Friends for Life Society and welcomes people living in Vancouver who are facing life challenges associated with HIV, cancer, hepatitis C, and other illnesses. They provide specialized support programs and services such as massage therapy, counseling, reflexology, naturopathy, cooking classes, and art therapy. The society operations were actually suspended briefly in 2016, but it seems like they are back up and running. This building was originally owned by George Weeks, the first manager of the Hudson's Bay store. The Hudson's Bay company followed the railway to Vancouver, opening its first store in 1887 on land leased by the CPR on Cordova Street in Gastown. Mr. Weeks, who had been an HBC factor at Yale and Hope, lived with his assistant in quarters at the rear of the store until he built this house in 1895. By the way, the Hudson's Bay Company opened a new store in its present location, although not in the same building. In 1893, the same year the house, the roadie house, was built. George lived in this house for 40 years and his family resided here for another 25. And you can tell the family really cared for the house as it was deemed in good condition during, upon purchase. Landscaping note, the park board gardeners transplanted the large rhododendron in the front garden from a nearby demolition site. So now we're going to continue heading um, around the block. So now we're going to take a right on Nicola. So we're going to be heading uh, east. So now I'm walking on Nicola. I'm walking past Friends for Life. Heading towards the water if that helps your navigation. And then I am just past the brick parking lot behind Friends for Life. And now I'm going to head into the, uh, I guess, the uh, dirt path. Taking another right. So right in between the park and the parking lot behind Friends for Life. So now I'm going to make some comments about this um, park area. So here we've got a kids play area and a grove of southern magnolias in memory of city property manager Pat Wolf or to the left. Through the branches of the Diodorus Cedar, you can see the brick paving planned for outdoor events. These beautiful patches of lawn are also called the sunbathers lawn are so unique. In this area, you, as you can guess, is very popular with the local community and apartment dwellers. I also wanted to highlight some garden boxes that are scattered around the block that are maintained by Gordon Neighborhood House. They have a team of volunteers that water and look after these boxes and the herbs that they grow are free for neighborhood use. So now we're going to continue walking. Um, you may see a um, lamp post. So head towards the lamppost and then take a left at the fork. So you're going to continue through this path that's kind of um, next to one of these triplet houses. And then we're going to be headed onto Harrow Street. So walk towards Harrow Street. And we're going to be talking about the um, triplet houses on Harrow.
So for wayfinding, right now I'm in front of 1438 Harrow Street. So these houses were marked for use as co-op buildings in partnership with the city. The two sets of triplet houses were each converted to have three units each. So six houses with housing for 18 households. These houses typify the middle-sized single-family homes with gable or hipped roofs, which once lined the West End streets. So number 1436, 1436, the first house in this group of three, was the home of Levi Stone, manager of the Vancouver Singer Sewing Machine Company, and his wife, Sade. So now we're gonna continue walking along. So we're gonna be, we're now we're on Harrow Street walking towards Broughton. So just admire these beautiful triplet houses as noted. So there's uh, each one is, is uh, split into a top, middle and bottom section for three households. So now we're right at the corner of Broughton and Harrow. And so I want you to see the gate that's right at the corner. There's a wrought gate, wrought iron gate that is uh, in between two stone pillars, so small kind of uh, small pillars. So the Lucky Gate belonged to pioneer R.J. Lucky, who lived further down Harrow near Denman. Family members donated the gate from their old home to the park board and is permanently open as a welcoming park entrance. So now we're going to be walking on Broughton towards Barclay and we're going to be looking at the next three triplet houses. So the second set of triplet houses were designed by the Vancouver architectural firm Parr & Fee in 1903. Possibly these identical flat front houses with hip roofs were built on the, for the speculative house market of the day with the various front verandas as with their spacious front verandas as a feature. These and the other triplet houses lost their chimneys due to the building code regulation. All the houses were raised by four feet to allow for a third suite to be developed at the ground level. So now we're going to continue walking along um, Broughton back towards the museum. So if at any point I'm walking too fast, feel free to just pause this and then go to the next location and then you can pick up. So now we're walking on Broughton. We're passing the shared parking lot. So now we're going to be talking about the small garden area um, next to adjacent to the museum. So you can stop kind of where you can see the gazebo. So the gazebo was built by Capilano College of Students studying heritage carpentry. The, the materials were donated by Marion Hawley and the surrounding perennial beds include this sp splendid trellis rose ballerina from the Garden Club of Vancouver. Also of note are the ornamental pear trees, a crabapple tree and an old fashioned rose margin beech tree. I'd like to bring to your attention to the Elizabeth O'Keeley bench beside a hibiscus plant in memory of, of a founding member of the Preservation Society. Her plaque was recently joined by Janet Binghams, another founding member of the society and, a write, and the writer of More Than a House book that documents the legacy of the block and house and a great influence on the board and museum today.
So now I'm going to be talking a little bit about the museum itself and the architecture of the museum. So the architecture of this house is a Queen Anne revival, a style developed in England in the early 1870s. Has anyone heard of Queen Anne, the last Stuart monarchs who reigned from 1702 to her death in 1714? Queen Anne was the first sovereign of Great Britain as she oversaw the unification of England and Scotland into a single kingdom in 1707. The style has very little to do with Queen Anne, other than the fact that it represents a vaguely historical revival of common features in English architecture. It is lovely and picturesque, the houses are always at least two stories high, with an asymmetrical design, steeply pitched gable or hipped roofs, and open veranda and bay windows. The quintessential feature is the corner turret that adds to the style's charm and curb appeal. This house is attributed to Rhodey's friend, architect Francis Mawson Rattenbury, who among many projects in BC, designed the Parliament Building, the Empress Hotel in Victoria, as well as our current art gallery, formerly the Law Courts. Um, so we are actually at the end of the tour. Um, so thank you very much for joining me on this, um, kind of, I guess, a virtual sort of walking tour. I do hope you are able to come down and enjoy the tour um, and, and have a nice walk around the block as well. Um, the museum also has a paper Berkeley Square um, guides with some more notes about the landscaping. So if we're open that day, please come by and grab a copy. Um, so thanks so much and hope to see you soon. Bye.